Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Hey, Assurance of Pardon listeners, Scott here. Sorry for the long delay between episodes, but wanted to reach out to you and share with you a special episode. I was recently interviewed by friend of the show, Justin Van Riper, on his podcast, The Serrated Edge. Many of you may remember the name, uh, his name from uh, the podcast Distilling Theology. Uh, Justin has his own podcast as well that he does, The Serrated Edge, and he invited me to come on and talk about 1 Corinthians 11 and the very uh, much debated topic of head coverings. It's an intramural debate within the church as to what you think uh, is going on with head coverings. I shared my take on it and would love for you to give it a listen and uh, check out, if you enjoy it, check out the Serrated Edge podcast for more great and fun episodes. So thanks again to the Serrated Edge for having me on and enjoy this episode. sisters appear in the house of God with their heads covered is because of the angels. The apostle says that a woman is to have her uh, covering upon her head because of the angels, since the angels are present in the assembly and they mark every act of indecorum. Charles Spurgeon. Welcome back to another episode of the Serrated Edge, the show where I get to cover you in controversial topics of theology because I can do what I want. I am your host, Justin Van Twinkletoes, and I am joined by another special guest. He is a husband, a father, a pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. He's a magician and a podcast co-host of the Assurance of Pardon podcast. That is a lot of things. Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Glad to be here. You should, um, Scott Davis. I don't think you, you yeah, said Scott all those Davis. things. You didn't say my <laughs> I did name. say all those things. <laughs> yeah, this is Scott Davis, everybody. <laughs> uh, glad to, glad Scott to be is, with you. Uh, is a friend of mine. Um, he has uh, been on our other show, the uh, Distilling Theology. Um, their podcast is uh, tremendous. And I am pleased, chuffed to bits, if you will, to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. We are excited to cover, no pun intended, a topic today that uh, I think is uh, shouldn't be controversial, but it is, at least in the modern day. Um, I blame feminism for most things, so I'm blaming feminism for this as well. <laughs> and uh, we are going to talk about head coverings. Um, yeah, not, not a controversial topic at all. No, not at all. Everybody's in agreement on it. <laughs> uh, so uh, for those of you who are perhaps unaware, uh, for most of church history, pretty much across the board, we're talking every denomination, every uh, sect of Christianity, uh, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, uh, you name it, everybody was pretty much in agreement that uh, upon, uh, at the very least, Lord's Day worship, that women would come to church with their heads covered by some sort of cloth covering. Um, 
you got 1900 years of church history covering that. And then suddenly uh, feminism comes on the scene and this disappears, particularly in the West. It's still prevalent in uh, a lot of other places today. But uh, yeah, so that's worth investigating. I think if we have a tradition that is that old, uh, going back to the very uh, pages of scripture, it's something that we should probably investigate um, because tradition, believe it or not, is in fact important. I know that triggers some people. Uh, <laughs> so before we jump in, uh, I'm just going to read uh, the primary passage that covers head coverings. That is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 16. And it says this, Now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since it is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so now born, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it prof proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, is it, it is her glory. For her hair is given for her covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have so, no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So, big verse there. Uh, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> why don't you introduce us? What do you think? Um, should women cover their heads when they pray and prophesy? Well, uh, just one of the things when I, I, I was, uh, let me uh, zoom out a little bit and tell you that I was uh, at our church. I preached through the entire books of the Bible and I was in first Corinthians and um, I'm not very good at reading ahead and deciding what I'm going to do when I get to <laughs> chapter 12 or chapter 10. Uh, but rather I, I kind of just, I, I, I look at wherever we're going to be that particular week. And I had a, a, a two godly ladies in our church come up to me at the beginning of the series and say, I'm really glad you're doing first Corinthians because I have a lot of questions. And I said, <laughs> Oh, great. Um, well, I'm glad I'm doing it too. And they said, I really, uh, this one godly lady said, I'm really curious to see what you're going to do when you get to first Corinthians 11. And I immediately you hear first Corinthians 11, you immediately go, Oh, the stuff about the Lord's supper. Cause that's the, when we think first right. Corinthians 11, that's immediately where we go. Most church, we practice communion weekly. I quote first Corinthians 11 every single week. <laughs> um, I said, the stuff about Lord's supper. And she goes, no, the stuff about head coverings. And I confess I hadn't, I hadn't given a lot of thoughtful attention to it as I should. Mm. And I was kind of, I was expecting her to say, because I don't want to wear a head covering. And instead, what this this godly lady in my church said is, I don't know how I wiggle out from under this. It <laughs> it sounds it sounds 
like it's something that I need to do, but I don't want to draw attention to myself because that seems like that would be the the opposite of the thrust. I don't want to, the, the whole idea is that this is not look at me, look, I have a head covering. I'm more pious than you. So I, I want to do it, but I don't want to stand out like a sore thumb because that, that is kind of the opposite. And I began uh, looking at it earnestly and um, began realizing two things. One is that I don't see how you wiggle out from under it either. I don't see how we explain it away. Um, and I, I looked at all, at all the arguments in favor of counting it as cultural. And I just, the second thing is, is that it's incredible. Why is this passage? Why is this teaching? If it's true and if it's buying today, why is it so scandalous? Why, if it is indeed the, 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 the direction of the God of the universe that, that, that women in the church, I contend wives, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll say wives at the very least, uh, wear a, cl- a cloth covering over their head for an hour or so out of their week. Given all of the, the, the things that the scripture calls us to, why is that one so scandalous? Why is that one so controversial? Um <laughs> And and yet it is. And 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 I'll say this: um, one of the things people will say is, "Well, it it doesn't mean it it, it doesn't mean now what it meant then. It do, didn't mean submission." And and my response, and I, my wife has been helpful on this, is, "Oh yes, it does. That's why it's so scandalous. <laughs> it's not that the head covering has fallen out of fashion. It's that wifely submission has fallen out of fashion. And so anything that anything that telegraphs that, anything that points to that, is is by virtue going to be going to fall out of fashion. And so it's not that the head covering stopped meaning wifely submission. It's that wifely submission has fallen out of fashion. In fact, when the when the unbelieving world wants to paint some sort of draconian dystopian world where women are submissive. I'm, I am, I'm talking to you handmaid's tale. What yeah. do they, what do they do? They, they put women in head coverings, right? They, they, the, the, uh, the, the pagan world even thinks that it, that it means something. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's controversial to talk about. It ought not be. Um, and it automatically sounds like it's the gateway drug to, abusing women it, it, mm-hmm. it and and we're we're afraid we're afraid of domination we're afraid of abuse we're afraid of of something that we things that we ought to be afraid of and so we just avoid talking about it or we explain it away yeah yeah that's great um it's interesting because i i think so my story is a little bit similar uh in that i had never given it a whole lot of thought um up until a couple of, uh, really only last year, a little bit before, um, it wasn't something that came up in our church. Uh, it wasn't something that I had really heard discussed. Um, and the few times that I had passed over the passage uh, and and looked up some questions, I got the same sort of casual, it's cultural, it doesn't have anything to do with today kind of answer. Um, and, and I moved on. That was satisfactory for me at the time. But right. then my wife comes up to me and she says, I'm feeling really convicted um, about this. And I think that perhaps you need to look into this for me and, and tell me what I should do here. And um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that, that just saying that alone will trigger some people. My wife asking me what she should do, right? Um, 
so I looked into it and I agree. I don't see that there's any way you can really wiggle out of this with any sort of uh, cultural argument or, um, or anything of that nature. Now, um, I, I, I agree that this is definitely something that comes as a result of people hating the biblical uh, understanding of gender roles, the biblical understanding of, um, of the sexes, right? That men and women are not the same, that we are equal in value, dignity, and worth, but we're not equal in, in responsibility and duty and role, um, that we are in fact different. Uh, and <laughs> I think it was, it was Vody Bauckham I heard recently who was saying, uh, talking about, for example, the term patriarchy. And he said, stop being afraid of these words, use them and use them rightly. Right. So that's right. Uh, pe- people conflate patriarchy from the biblical sense with some sort of tyranny or abuse. They conflate um, uh, headship with, again, some sort of tyranny and abuse. They can consider submission directly conflated with oppression, that that means somehow the same thing. And so, of course, anything that reflects that in any sort of way, such as head covering, is going to be uh, horribly offensive to their feminist tendencies. Well, and let's let's go ahead and, and say something else that I think maybe might escape people's notice when they when they hear this, mm-hmm. and that is First Corinthians eleven is not just teaching head coverings. It's First Corinthians eleven verses two through sixteen isn't just teaching head covering of women. It's teaching that men are to not have their head covered. So there's mm-hmm. there's they're both both of being both the men and the women are being called to do something to to telegraph. Uh, their uh, their obedience, their 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 belief in in a headship that Christ is the head of the man, and that the man is to signify that by not having a covering. And so, if you're in upstate New York, I'm in the South. If if we went to uh, maybe a high school football game or a uh, the county fair or a rodeo or some sort of event, and they give a public prayer over the PA system. What you'll see is you'll see all the men in the crowd, at least the ones that that uh, older men at least, take off their hat when when the prayer is offered. Mm-hmm. And now, where, what's the origin of that? Well, the origin of that is First Corinthians chapter eleven. That is a tradition, but it's a tradition that's based in a, in something scriptural. So most of those men who are taking their hats off think that they're doing it out of tradition. But what they don't know is that, 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 that the tradition actually has an origin, and that origin is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So yeah. as a minister in 2023 in a conservative Reformed Baptist church like you're in or a conservative Presbyterian church like I'm in, I can stand in the pulpit and raise my voice and bang on the pulpit and say, men, do you hear what this is saying? This means that you don't wear a ball cap in the Lord's house. And everyone would say a hearty amen. Everyone would say, that's right, preacher. You tell those men that they need to show their reverence when they come into the Lord's house. But then if I go down to the very next verse and say, ladies, this means that you have to have your head covered, I would immediately, those those amens would be would turn to silence. And so why is it that our hermeneutic just changes from, from one verse to the next, from right. absolutely, you're right, we ought to do that, to I don't think that applies anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I think what we should do is we should take a look at the reasons why we believe this is the practice. Um, I think there's four primary reasons, one being the creation order. Uh, the second, the scripture talks about because of the angels. That seems to be the one that confuses people the most. 
Um, reason number three being our created nature, and then, of course, church practice. So let's take a look at number one, the creation order. Um, R.C. Sproul has a great uh, quote on this. He says, the thing that is most astonishing here is that he appeals to creation, not to Corinth. If anything transcends local custom, it is those things that are rooted in the and ordered in creation. This is why I'm very frightened to be loose with the passage. He also, um, in, a, in a quick conversation about this particular topic, he said, even if I were to uh, be wrong, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of caution, because the last thing I want to do is come before the Lord and say, no, no, I didn't care enough to understand this. Instead, instead, he, he said, I'd rather err on the side of, well, I wasn't sure, so I erred on the side of caution to show an overabundance of reverence. Um, Amen. I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so, I'm sorry. I, I, I was. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, absolutely. What I was gonna, what I was going to say is what I was going to say with regard to a point appealing to 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 creation rather than Corinth is some of the uh, the those who would say that this has passed away. They will point to Corinth and they will make all sorts of arguments about temple prostitutes and not looking like them. But again, they're importing arguments into the text that Paul's not using. Paul's citing creation. And they're also arguing in a way that 1900 years of, of church teachers didn't see. So they're, they're claiming that we've figured something out in this text that escaped the notice of Luther and Calvin and Spurgeon and, and everybody before us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Paul, Paul does not appeal in any way to uh, what's going on in the culture. He appears, appeals to creation, nature and angels of all things. Um, so this idea that it had something to do with the prostitutes makes very little sense to me. I, I mean, it, it could have come up in conversation, I'm sure, during that time because, you know, because of what was going on. But in this treatise on the topic, he, he doesn't even in passing mention it. Um, That's right. So, yeah, we, we see that it's rooted in uh, the fact that uh, Christ is the head of the man and then the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. So we see this creation order. Uh, we see that um, man is called the glory of God and the woman is called the glory of the glory of God. She's called the glory of the man. Um, so it's actually a, a, a beautiful thing here. Uh, we see that this, right. um, that all things in 1 Corinthians 15, um, we see all things are subjected to him. So we see we're all subject to Christ. Then the son will also be subjected to the one who is subjected to all things to him, all things to him. So the, the son to the father and then us to Christ and then the wife to us. <laughs> It's it's a beautiful hierarchy if we embrace it, but again, that flies directly in the face of what the culture is telling us now that that everybody's exactly the same, everybody's becoming androgynous, and and gender doesn't mean anything. And so, of course, when you say no, no, no there is a hierarchy uh, in all of creation. Uh, that's again, uh, you know, boohoo! It offends them, but <laughs> our we shouldn't be concerned about that. We should be concerned about honoring God here. Amen. Um, all right, so why don't why don't we discuss the angels? <laughs> yeah, because of the yeah. Angels, go for it. Yeah, I, you you get that a lot. Is well, uh, people will say if you just bring up if you just bring up this passage, they will say, yeah, but I don't know what because of the angels means, and that's somehow my 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 
my escape hatch to get out from under this because you can't tell me what because of the angels means. I can't tell you what it means. So we better not apply it at all, which is just an absurd uh, thing to, to, to say. Yeah. Well, first thing I would say is whatever because of the angels means, it doesn't mean contemporary fashion trends of the day. Yeah. <laughs> right. That the, yeah. that the angels job as God gives angels their job is he doesn't say go to Corinth and make sure that the followers of Christ in Corinth are sticking to the social trends of the day. I thank God that the angels in my context are not telling uh, the, 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 the women in my town to dress no different in all ways from the the the, the social trends of the day the church mm-hmm. has always pushed back in, in, in as as they ought to against social trends as it related to dress that it it, it thought were dishonoring to god so whatever because of the angels means it can't mean contemporary fashion or or that the that they're the fashion police in some way but what i think it does mean is that angels are observing us. Angels are present among us when we, when we gather. Uh, Ephesians yeah. chapter three, Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And then rulers and authorities in the heavenly places includes angels. First Peter three says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So uh, the angels are witnessing our worship. And Paul is telling us that's why we, that's why men are to have their heads uncovered and women are to have their heads covered. And, And by the way, if this was reversed, if Paul was saying, women don't have your heads covered, men, be sure you have your heads covered. We would be making the same arguments. We would be saying, that's not fair. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They'd be fighting, you know, who's going to get the best covering. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Turn turn it into some big show. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love that idea too, of, of the angels, right. Who have been created by God and been with him uh, longer than us. They see God creates this world. We immediately rebel against him. Uh, and then in that rebellion, he redeems us. And now the angels are watching this created uh, world where the enemies of God are now reconciled with him, worshiping him, uh, redeemed, and then uh, portraying this beautiful um, order that God has given uh, to mankind. Um, it, it must be in some way, I would I would think, for their benefit and for some reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was good. <laughs> I think there was a, a good a good covering of that. Very good answer. Um, yeah, it, it, I would say if God is primarily concerned with the angels' benefit for some reason, um, then this can mean a couple of things. That it would uh, be an appeal to not offend the angels by being disobedient. Uh, or a command to accurately show the angels some sort of picture of the created order, um, one or the other. Uh, and and I, we also know, too, that it is a benefit to us, right? God does not do anything that does not um, benefit his people, right? All things work together for the glory of, uh, for the good of those who uh, love him and are called according to his purpose. So in some way, shape, or form, it benefits us uh, as well. And so I think this is something that we should just fully embrace as a, as a gift, uh, to our, um, or to us from our God that we can, that we can embrace and show the world, um, that, that God has done a good thing. 
Justin, I don't want to get out ahead of you, but are you going yeah. to deal with what does it mean to pray and prophesy? Mm. I think we should cover that. Yes, that that's been really the primary yeah. um, argument. So I've heard the cultural argument, and I've heard the the long hair being her covering argument. But the one that I've heard the most is, well, you know, I thought women weren't supposed to teach and preach in church. So what do you mean praying and prophesying? Correct. Correct. So and by all means, yeah. Yeah. So, so sometimes people will say, well, yeah, I agree that women should have their head covered, but only if they're praying and prophesying and women aren't supposed to pray and prophesy. They're supposed to be silent. And so, um, they've, in some sense, they've got Paul making this kind of weird argument where he's, where he's saying, women, if you're going to pray and prophesy, you need to have your head covered. And then a few chapters later, he says, scratch that. Just don't say anything. Um, so that, that can't, that, that <laughs> renders the scripture nonsensical and is a complete absolute attack on the perspicuity, not just of the canon, but of one book, one letter that Paul can't even con- be consistent within one single letter. So what I think is, is going on is that yes, in scripture, you have capital P praying, capital P prophesying uh, that, that, the, that the, the minister and the elders are doing, but, But then there is what all of God's people do when they gather on the Lord's day is we are all praying together. We, when we pray the Lord's prayer, that's a corporate prayer. It says, uh, it has, it has plural pronouns. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. And so God's people, when they gather together, they pray, men and women pray in the, in the gathered body and they prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? It means to extol and proclaim God's acts, wonderful acts of redemption and salvation and creation verbally. And so when we sing, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. When we sing, this is my father's world. When we sing, uh, how great thou art, the congregation, all the men and all of the women are praying and prophesying. We're proclaiming God's mighty acts of redemption and creation. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have said that better myself. Um, yeah, absolutely. The whole church is, is participating. They are also hearing and receiving and understanding the word preached, um, which again, uh, ought to bring us to prayer and ought to bring us to, um, to singing out these glories that God has given to us. And so of course it's a, it's an, both an active and a passive, um, action here. And I think that makes perfect sense. I also think that's why, uh, one of the several reasons why, uh, this is a practice that is limited to the corporate gathering of the body and the, and particularly the Lord's day worship, uh, but potentially, you know, any of the, any corporate gathering of the body of Christ, that this is something that they're participating in, um, which is, you know, not good because again, my, one question my wife had was, was, well, aren't we supposed to pray without ceasing? <laughs> so, so should sure. I, should I be having one on without ceasing? Um, but I, I think the context is pretty clear that he's talking about the gathered body. That's exactly right. I, 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 we don't want to, uh, on praying without ceasing, I think we could err in spreading the biblical butter too thin there <laughs> and say that h- how can I, I can't, um, I, I can't turn over here and verbally discipline my child because I, that would make me stop praying for a moment. And so we can't let prayer without ceasing mean something that, that means that we don't do anything else, but rather that's talking about having it. Sure. We ought to always have an attitude of prayer, but the, when God's people, when God's people gather on God's day in God's house, they, they do some particular things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, I remember there's a couple of times my wife came home from work and she's like, 
Um, I, I'm not sure. I was, I wasn't sure if like, I, I felt the need to pray. And so I was like, do I put my hand on my head? Like, I don't know what to do. And, and she was all confused and concerned. And so we jumped in and, <laughs> and discussed this at length because she didn't want to be dishonoring to God, which is I think a great heart posture, but at the same time, um, Amen. God's commands are, are not necessarily a burden, but a blessing to us. Um, Amen. so I thought that was interesting. Okay. So, uh, we also, um, Paul jumps into the actual nature of man and woman, um, which we, t- we touched on briefly, uh, as one of the many reasons, right. That, um, ready says, is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? Uh, of course, I think this is a, re- a rhetorical question, right? He's saying judge for yourselves. Um, but he roots it in our very nature, right? That the nature of man is that we are the head. We are uh, in an authoritative position over the church, over our families. Uh, I would argue over the culture as well, that we are by nature uh, different than women. And so he roots this in the fact that um, women, um, men are not from women, but women from men. Uh, women, uh, men are not for women, but women for men. He roots it in the fact that we are created with different natures and nature pours out speech, right? And so we have this, uh, this differing nature between men and women. And, uh, and again, now we have the positive command for men not to cover their heads and the positive command for women to cover their heads to show that we have a distinct nature and that the men have an authority that the women do not have. And that's not a bad thing, (laughs) which people hate that idea that somehow having authority makes you a tyrant by default. But I'm like, okay, well, then mm-hmm. why do you have a boss? You know, why do you have, you know, <laughs> I mean, how many people have authority over yep. you that aren't, aren't tyrannical, but uh, pa- parents, you know, things like that. So, of course, nowadays I'd argue that people don't respect their parents' authority either, but. Sure. Well, one of the one of the ways in, in this area on this passage that I think some critics of, of the contemporary practice of head coverings will sort of muddy the water. I think they throw mud in the water and say this is unclear, um, but it is by is by saying, well, what is long hair? What is short hair? Right? And so I'll admit I can go to a uh, look at a, a, a an artist a portrait a draw, painted by an artist of Jonathan Edwards, and he's got beautiful man hair, shoulder length man hair. Yeah, and you kind of go, well, see, there's there's. Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan, he's got he's got long hair. Well, and in and in Jonathan Edwards' day, that was considered to be short hair, right? Because women had hair down their backs, all the way down their backs. And so, whereas what's considered long hair and what's considered short hair has has changed over time, there have always still been clear markers of this is how men this is what men look like and this is what women look like. And the low hanging fruit of first Corinthians 11 is that God made men and women. He didn't make them different. He didn't make them the same. He made them different. And that the way that they, the way that they dress ought to be evident of the fact that they are, that they are not the, the other sex and that mm-hmm. it's, and that it's a sin for us to blur the distinctions of our, of our genders that God has given us. I mean, it's evident even in the fact that that men and women have different types of genes. That doesn't mean that genes in and of themselves are androgynous, right? We have men's genes and women's genes, but yeah, there there is definitely some value in understanding the culture. Uh, it's not as though culture doesn't exist or that it has no impact on how we do these practices, but there is um, 
there is definitely distinctive markers. Uh, again, this is why I like to grow a beard. It makes a very distinct marker that I am not a woman. <laughs> yeah, amen. And and and, and regarding regarding uh, cultural indicators of the time, what Paul mm-hmm. does say in First Corinthians eleven is that he says that women, when they gather. Uh, on the Lord's Day for praying and prophesying that they are to have their head covered. But Paul doesn't say what that head covering needs to look like. He doesn't say it needs to be this many inches by this many inches. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't say it has to be made of this particular fabric. That And, and, and therefore, what that head covering has looks like has changed over time. There have been times that it was that it was a shawl. There have been times that it was a Big bonnet. And there, have been yeah. time, and there have been times when it was a hat. And so legalism would be not observing head covering legalism would be to say it has to be it has to it has to reach this part of the head it has to cover this much i think that's where we go into making saying more than paul has said and listen yes. if paul wanted to say if paul wanted to say the head covering needs to be at least this size and it needs to be this color it needs to be the shape Listen, Scripture does that. Think of the way that the priestly garments are are described in the Old Testament. There's downright sewing patterns there. They need to have these jewels. They need to be fashioned in this sort of way. But Paul doesn't doesn't go into that, and so we don't have to we don't have to plant our flag and die on what the head covering looks like or even what what fabric it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny that actually got me thinking about Islam because they not only do they have a very specific way of doing it, and if you don't do it that way. You know, you can be beaten or flogged or whatever. Um, but head covering, among many things, was something that they took from Christianity and then applied uh, legalistic uh, and abusive and tyrannical um, practices on top of it. And then, of course, now folks will look at Christians who want to practice head covering and say, well, you're just like the Muslims. It's like, well, no, there's a clear, distinct difference between us and the Muslims in the way that they are legalistic about it in the way that we ought not to be. Amen. Um, uh, so I'd like to look at uh, the last uh, the last one here, uh, the the reason of of church practice. Um, now I think this is interesting because in First Corinthians eleven two he says, "Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions, just as I've delivered them to you." But then later on, <laughs> right, he says. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So people will often jump to that verse and say, oh, no, no, he's saying that we have no such practices. We have no such things. But I think if we actually look at the context here, what he's saying is, because right, he just gets done giving this treatise as to why we should be practicing head covering. right? He says, in, uh, in, if, we, if we want to look at other parts of Scripture, too, Second Thessalonians says, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught. Right, tradition isn't inherently bad. Um, he says in in Second Thessalonians three six. Uh, now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads you in unruly life, not according to the tradition which you received. So, tradition again is not inherently bad. It's inherently, I think, um, it, it, it's something that we ought to take into consideration and heed. Um, and uh, it appears to me. Now, I may be wrong, but it appears to me that when he says, if anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, I think what he's saying is we don't have the practice of being contentious, nor do the churches of God, <laughs> right? Uh, that, that's what it yep. appears to me, that he that he's saying, we don't have the practice of being contentious over these issues. You ought to be uh, doing these things. I've just given you a whole bunch of reasons why, and if somebody wants to be contentious, well, don't, because we don't practice that. <laughs> 
You, well, you could say we have no other practice. We have no practice of being contentious in any of the churches, or you could say we have no other churches that we can point to that don't also practice head covering, which is yeah. what, what I, I actually think is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. What, with regard to the, the tradition, uh, R.C. Sproul has a quote. He says, when the apostles speak of tradition, they aren't speaking of human tradition. Rather, they are talking about that which has been handed over from the apostles to the church. These were not traditions that were to be negotiated. This is God's tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, too, uh, if we look at other translations, some of them will translate it as we have no other practice, nor have the churches mm-hmm. of God. So, yeah, I think that's probably the one of the weakest arguments I've heard is that using um, using this verse uh, uh, 16 to argue that they don't have such traditions. Now, uh, we did briefly talk about the cultural argument, which I think is very weak in terms of trying to get out from under this. Um, but I, I think one of the things that was more compelling for me for a long time was the idea of the long hair being the covering, right? Because um, he does oh, say yeah. for the, her hair is given for a covering. And and so what do we make of this? How do we deal with this particular argument? Yeah. Yeah. This is probably um, among our reform, among most of our uh, brothers and sisters that don't, that take the Bible seriously, that, that we would not call them liberals or, or uh, social progressives. Mm-hmm. Um but but that don't practice head covering or don't don't think that it's prescriptive for today, they will say the hair is her covering. And I would say that makes no hermeneutical sense whatsoever. If the hair is the covering, because they're talking about wearing a covering, if if the hair is the covering, then definitely don't tell a woman who won't cut her, her hair to shave her head because you're you're rendering her unable to, to carry this out because if, if the text is saying, um, if, if the text is saying for, if a woman will not cover her head, verse six, for if a woman will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short for, since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off or shave her, let her cover her head. So don't cut off or shave your head, cover it cover it with a covering. And so the hair, the hair being the covering, it just doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever. And I've never, I've, I, and I've, I've had people say, well, the hair is the covering. And I say, just what I just said. And they just look at me and say, no, I think the hair is the covering, but, but it, well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I think the hair is the covering. Well, you're, you're just repeating your same thing over and over again. I, help me understand that it doesn't make. And, and again, what we got to say, uh, Justin, as as reformed guys, one of the things that we do when we preach and when we teach and we expound on when we exegete the scriptures is not only do we open up the text and we say, "Here's what it says." One of the ways that we can, that we help our our hearers in our, in our congregation in the Lord's Day worship know that what we're saying is trustworthy is we'll say, this isn't just me saying this. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. Here's what, here's what John Calvin said about this. Here's what Martin Luther said about this. Here's what John Knox said about this. And we love, as we should, to point to trusted theologians in years past to say, this is a, this is a teaching that's consistent with church history. Now, 
all of your Reformed brothers do that in the way they preach and teach. All of my Reformed brothers do that when they preach and teach. But if you're if you're going to if you're going to say that this no longer applies, you 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 can't really do the what you normally do. You've got to not mm. quote the old guys. You've got to you've got to leave them off because if you're going to just say the hair is the covering you're 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 not only going to not make good hermeneutical sense you're also you've got to you've got to abandon your normal practice of showing what the church has always taught about this uh yeah i i, I agree i think uh you can do a quick word replacement in verse 6 and see where it says cover her head replace it with have long hair and it mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense if you say for a, if a wife will not have long hair then she should cut her hair short what it doesn't yeah. make any sense. If a wife, if a, <laughs> if a wife doesn't cut, if a wife doesn't have long hair, then she's already cut her hair short. Right. So, it, yeah. If you refuse, if you refuse to have long hair, then you should cut your hair, because you uh, you already have short hair. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the things that, yes. that threw me. Yes, uh, I was like, this makes absolutely no grammatical sense, no hermeneutical sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I think that's great. I, I think Paul referencing the woman's hair um, as a covering is not meant to determine uh, or to define, rather, what he's talking about in verses 4 through 13, but really to support his argument as a reason for the wearing of an artificial covering. Um, because does not nature itself even teach you, right, the difference he's talking about women's hair being long as a covering for them, different than a man who has shorter hair? So he's actually, I think, reinforcing by saying even through nature, you can see that women have uh, a difference in the way that they appear. Their hair is more covering than the man's hair. And so therefore, uh, let's now uh, in practice, not just uh, in nature, but in practice, let it, let us emphasize that with the men being uncovered and the women being covered, um, that this is something that we should reinforce, not that the uh, somehow having the long hair takes takes away the practice of wearing a covering over it during the worship. Amen. Amen. You you mentioned feminism being the thing that has that has uh, driven this change, and I wanted to point your listeners to a uh, a really helpful book by Jeremy Gardner, uh, Head Covering: A Forgotten Christian Practice for Modern Times. Uh, uh, you can get it on Amazon. You get it. Uh, you can get it. Uh, for the Kindle, uh, it's from headcoveringmovement.com, which is, uh, has proven to be a really helpful resource good, for, good for resource, studying yeah. some of these things. Um, it, it was helpful for me, but they, um, they have a quote in there from a 1968 um, press release um, from the National Organization for Women, the feminist organization uh, founded by Betty Friedan. Uh, in 1968, they rallied their troops to have a national unveiling. Here's what they said, quote, because the wearing of a head covering by women at religious services is a symbol of subjection with many churches, 
the National Organization of Women recommends that all chapters undertake an effort to have all women participate in a, quote, national unveiling, close quote, by sending their head coverings to the task force chairman. At the spring meeting of the task force of women and religion, these veils will be publicly burned to protest the second class status of women in all churches. So I, I, I want to throw that out there for our listeners uh, that that you're not you're not making that up. The idea that feminism uh, is responsible for this ending. Feminism is saying we're responsible for this change, yeah. and so this is why it's ni- that's 1968. That's why the the you begin seeing this practice that has been historic practice in in every Christian tradition for 1900 years. This is why you see it go out of fashion, so to speak, starting during the feminist revolution. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Dale Partridge also does, uh, just recently wrote a book called a cover for glory, which is a biblical defense for head coverings, um, which I recommend as well. Uh, he goes through in, in pretty good detail, um, scripturally to make the argument for why this is something that is good and that's something that we should do. And he, and he gives a brief um, uh, treatise on, on why the practice has disappeared. So it's it's a good, um, you know, whether or not you folks like Dale Partridge, don't throw out this book just because you might have feelings. It's a good book. Um, another, uh, another, because I, I know that I pastor a, a church in the PCA, I have a handful of ladies who wear a head covering. It's not the majority practice in my church. Yep. Um, I, I would imagine that not every woman at your church, Justin, is wearing a head covering every single Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. I would imagine that that um, nobody is standing at the door with a basket of head coverings and <laughs> handing one to every woman as they True. walk in. Um, I, so one of the one of the ways in which I think I have sort of moderately put this forward. Um, has been, has been. If this is a picture of a wife's submission to her husband, um, then I, I would encourage women to to seriously consider this and to talk it over with their husband, um, mm-hmm. and and do it because you find it to be a compelling thing that Scripture calls for. Um, if you are covering your head, but you are not actually submissive, then you're 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 actually telegraphing something that's, that's, that we're not to, that, that you're, you're telegraphing something that's not true. Uh, one of my, one of my uh, pastor friends pointed me to a, a free church of Scotland minister it, um, named Armin Tomasian. And he, I, I listened to a sermon he did on this and he said, and he's preaching to the free church of Scotland. They are, a, they are a, a continuing, they are a majority head covering um, congregation. And so if you go to a free church of Scotland, continuing church, you're going to see a lot of women with their heads covered. And he said something that I found very, very fascinating to this room full of women with covered heads. And what he said is, there are many of you women here who do not submit to your husband. You reject God's uh, command that he be an authority over you. You do not submit to him in the home. You uh, uh, and yet every Sunday morning you show up here and put a lie on top of your head. <laughs> and what's he saying? He's saying, he's wow. saying, Hey, do this as a reflection of the, of your heart posture. Yeah. 
don't do it to, to pretend as though you actually hold a biblical submission. Do it because it's because you because you do. So anyway, uh, uh, don't do it. Don't do it for appearances only. Do it because it truly is a reflection of the posture of your heart. Uh, and that's actually where it becomes a legalistic thing if you're doing it solely for appearances. Oh sure, and 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 not because you actually believe in biblical submission, but because you you are uh, you're doing it as a as a, just an external obedience. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's great. I like that a lot. Um, lastly, <laughs> I just wanted to read this quote from Martin Luther. Uh, I thought I, this quote reminds me. So uh, when we go to church on the Lord's Day, and my wife's there wearing her dress and her her head covering. Uh, she always catches me, you know, staring her down in the church and she's like, why are you looking at me like a pork chop? <laughs> and, uh, and I, and I want to agree with, um, with Luther here who says fur and head coverings are women's most attractive and honorable and most genuine and most necessary adornment. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's the old, I remember growing up kids, uh, kids in the Christian church would always say modest is hottest. <laughs> and, uh, I do think that there is some truth <laughs> in that, that there is some beauty, uh, in the fact that, uh, seeing seeing my wife uh, wanting to honor me and to honor God and to show the world uh, the created order and to show the world that she is uh, not only mine but also belongs to God, uh, there is something inherently, I think, attractive and beautiful about that. Um, and this is, uh, I think, one of those practices that I, I am very saddened that has been lost, but I'm, I'm glad to see some resurgence or some reformation in the church about this. Yeah, I, I have, I have, um, I, I preached on this at our church a few, um, a few uh, months ago, and uh, the following Sunday there were a, a few additional women that had their head covered, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, there are, and there are still women that are kind of in conversation with me about it, and with their husbands about it, talking through it, um, and so yeah, I, again, I think that I think that. W- our desire here, I, I pray, is to is to persuade people that this is the the, the teaching of the text, uh, not to not to in a Muslim fashion enforce this, mm-hmm. even if you don't find it convincing. I think that, but yeah. but but to compel you that this is that biblical submission of the husband to to Christ and the wife to the husband. And by the way, when you submit to when when, when you submit to someone, you're not only submitting to them, you're submitting to everyone above them. So when the if, if, if God the Father has put Christ over me, then when I submit to Christ, I'm submitting to Christ and to God the Father. When Christ is submitting, what Christ is submitting to God the Father, and the wife is submitting to, to her husband and to, and to, and to Christ and to God the Father. Um, and so everybody's, there's nobody that's not called to submit. So I think that's the problem we run into is, is we think that only women are called to submit it. That's just not true. And again, if you, if you think you're too good to submit, then you're better than Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Who didn't yeah. count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but submitted himself, humbled himself. Amen. So brother, if, uh, if folks want to find your content, now's your chance to plug your stuff. Sure. Uh, I do a podcast called Assurance of Pardon with another uh, minister in our denomination. And you can learn more about that uh, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. It's called uh, Assurance of Pardon. You can go to assuranceofpardon.com. And then the church that I pastor is in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and that is Hope Presbyterian Church. 
And all of our past sermons, including including this one on 1 Corinthians 11, can be found at hopechurchpca.org. Awesome. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having the time. And uh, I'm really excited to get this one out there and uh, to see what the conversation looks like. Uh, and Lord willing, um, we will continue to see a reformation of this practice in the church. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you.